everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Topics for this week, first up from Stuff on the 26th of October, Landlords Want to Lift Rent, Survey Shows. Second topic, News Hub's 22nd of October, Wellington City Missioner says demand for emergency and transitional housing is dire. Topic three, we've got from Stuff on the 23rd of October, the areas where house prices increased by over 200% in 10 years. Fourth up this week, we've got interest.co.nz, 26th of October, the supply of new housing has exceeded population-driven demand by almost 60,000 homes over the last two years. And topic number five from RNZ on the 27th of October, Underinsurance is an increasing problem for homeowners, property research firm says. So first up this week from staff on the 26th of October, landlords want to lift rent, survey shows. A new survey shows that more landlords are planning to raise rents. The latest investor sentiment survey released by economist Tony Alexander revealed that 74% of respondents are planning to raise their rents in the next six months. In August, only 65% of respondents had the same sentiment. A majority of those who plan to increase their rents are planning to do so by 5%. Data from TradeMe showed that the national median rent being asked on the website was up 7.5% over the year, just ahead of the 7.2% rate of inflation. Alexander thinks that the planned rent increases are a sign of a shift in the rental market. He said based on history, it's not likely that higher interest rates lead to higher rents. If tenants are faced with affordability problems, they'll likely choose to live with other people or stay with family rather than stretch themselves to pay rent that's too expensive. And that's certainly something that we saw during the global financial crisis. We saw increased demand for properties with multiple bedrooms and less demand for properties with a smaller number of bedrooms. Alexander believes that there could be a reduction in rental stock as investors are faced with declining returns and the loss of their ability to deduct interest costs from their home loans. Some might be motivated to sell. Fewer properties for rent over the next year could lead to higher rents in the future. The latest investment sentiment survey also reported that investors are finding it less difficult to find good tenants, which is great news. Around 25% of investors were planning another purchase, while 23% were looking to sell a property. In other words, more people are looking at buying more, while a few are still considering selling. My thoughts on this are inflation's affecting everyone, both landlords and tenants. Average one-year interest rates have increased from 2.16% in July 2021 to 5.61% at the end of this week in October 2022. For a $500,000 mortgage, that's an increase in costs of up to $228 a week, about a 50% increase in the mortgage cost. Landlords can't just increase rent to cover their costs. It has to be in line with market rent. If a tenant feels that the landlord's trying to increase their rent above market rent, they can take them to tenancy tribunal. They don't need to worry about retribution, for example, landlord ending their tenancy or being blacklisted because there's laws in place to protect them from that. Landlords can also only increase rent once every 12 months. 
87% of tenants in New Zealand rent from private landlords or trusts. It's possible that the government could look at implementing rent freezes, but that would be a mistake in my opinion. Some landlords might be forced to sell if they can't afford to top up the mortgage, which could create a rental property shortage, driving market rents up even further for new tenancies. During COVID, when we had a rent freeze imposed for six months from the 26th of March 2020 to the 25th of September 2020, average market rent in New Zealand was $470 per week at the beginning of the freeze and $450 per week at the end of the freeze, so a $20 reduction in the average market rent. But just two months later, by the end of November 2020, average rent had jumped to $500 per week. Rent freezes don't work. They just kick the can further down the road. What we need are more rental properties. And quite frankly, private landlords do it a heck of a lot better than the government does and at a far less cost to the taxpayer, as discussed in a previous podcast. Second topic for this week, News Hub on the 22nd of October. Wellington City Missioner says demand for emergency and transitional housing is dire. Wellington City Missioner says it's facing an unprecedented demand for emergency and transitional housing. Wellington Missioner Murray Edridge said that the organisation is functioning at maximum capacity and is helping out a group of people that are struggling more than ever before. Associate Housing Minister Marama Davidson said that the latest six-monthly progress report on the government's plan to address homelessness shows milestones being met. She was particularly proud that the government has found 2,200 places where those at risk of losing their tenancies can live long term. $6 million has been given to local initiatives to help Māori Pacifica and Rangatahi communities who may be more at risk of homelessness. There were also pilot programs in Auckland and Waikato to support those leaving acute mental health and addiction units. Edridge acknowledged the government's efforts, but it was still tough for many, especially with the housing shortage and increased cost of living. The National Party, however, said the report was just spin. Spokesperson for Housing, Chris Bishop, said that the government was trying to claim progress on homelessness based on money spent and the number of programmes started and not the actual outcomes. According to him, homelessness has increased in the past five years we can certainly see that just in the figures of the number of people that are on the emergency waiting list, you know, emergency housing waiting list. It's well over 27,000 people now. Uh, and the last stat that I heard on how long it takes to get off that waiting list, 26 weeks. That's over half a year, people potentially living in cars or tents. So third topic from Stuff, 23rd of October, the area where house prices increased by over 200% in 10 years. In the last 10 years, house prices have climbed steadily in South Waikato. New CoreLogic figures show the district's average price increased by 249% from $135,450 in September 2012 to $472,654 this September. It's the second highest rate of price growth in the country over that period of time. Mary Hyron, a retiree, and her friend paid $300,000 for a house they bought together in Pataruru six years ago, and its value has gone up considerably. 
its value was $700,000 six months ago, although it has dropped back to $500,000. According to CoreLogic, the town's median price is at $541,100. Hiram believed that these prices would have made buying a home difficult for her and for locals looking to buy now. She observed that at the peak of the recent boom, people from out of town were coming in to buy as the prices are still less expensive compared to other areas. However, there was a limited supply in the market. Hiron agrees that more supply will help with the cost of housing and lead to improvement of local shops. Tokoroa is another town in the district to feel the impact of rising house prices. Tokoroa has a lower median price with CoreLogic putting it at $446,000. But according to Sean Mezeros of Property Brokers Tokoroa, it has recorded the highest average price increase in the Waikato region in the last 24 months. Although the town's property values experienced sluggishness following the global financial crisis, they jumped again over the 2020 to 2021 boom. <coughs> this was driven by three buyer groups. Investors, first-home buyers and retirees who were attracted by Tokoroa's prices. The town used to have a reputation for being economically underdeveloped, but there are now several employment opportunities in the area. Mezeros said that the market has become harder for some locals because prices aren't that cheap anymore. Meanwhile, sellers have made large gains. First-home buyers hoping to purchase may find it difficult, as there hasn't been much building activity since the 1980s. In terms of rent, supply is very tight and rents have increased, but not by too much. Although South Waikato's 10-year price increase may be monumental, it's still behind Kawaro in the Bay of Plenty, which is number one in the spot. It saw a 260% rise in the same period. The small provincial town's average price increased from $118,293 in September 2012 to $425,633 this September. Property brokers Fakatane branch manager Catherine Mackay said that the majority of buyers are from out of town and are made up of investors, retirees and first home buyers from Auckland and Tauranga. One of the main reasons why the town has seen many out-of-town buyers is its continued industrial development. However, Mackay said that there's not much movements from locals upgrading or moving. Horofenua in the Manawatu Whanganui district had the country's third biggest 10-year price increase, CoreLogic's figures show. The district's average price went up by 213%, from 194541 in September 2012 to $607,983 this September. Rangatiki in the Manawatu, Whanganui and South Wairarapa in the Wellington regions rounded out CoreLogic's list of the five areas with the highest 10-year price increases. The average price in Rangatiki rose 208%, while South Wairarapa was up 205%. CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Calvin Davidson said that the 10-year period covered a number of cycles, but the areas with the largest increases all had much cheaper prices to start with. This means that they have more headroom to grow, unlike places such as Auckland where prices started higher. However, despite the large upswing in prices in more provincial areas, they're also potentially more vulnerable to the downswing because they have lower populations and have fewer economic drivers than the main centres. 
Remember that if you're purchasing an investment property, there's a lot more to it than just looking at previous capital growth stats or potential future capital growth. If you want to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events, available live, online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. If you'd like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, you can book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website also. It's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Fourth topic for this week in review, we've got from interest.co.nz on the 26th of October, the supply of new housing has exceeded population-driven demand by almost 60,000 homes over the last two years. The supply of new dwellings has exceeded the demand from population growth by a significant margin. Figures from Statistics New Zealand shows that the population's increased by just 12,700 in the 12 months to June this year. This is down from an increase of 21,200 in the 12 months to June last year and well below the average of 94,800 a year from 2018 to 2020. The drop in population growth is due to the sharp decrease in immigration and a decline in the natural increase in the population. The excess births over deaths is at its lowest point since World War II. Interest.co.nz estimates that the 12,700 population increase would have created a demand for an additional 4,885 new homes, but it's likely around 37,614 new homes were completed during that period, which give a surplus supply of 32,729 homes. This comes on top of an estimated surplus of 26,650 homes in the 12 months to June last year, giving a total potential surplus of 59,379 homes over the past two years. The strong turnaround in supply is a result of the immigration pipeline being turned off by pandemic restrictions, while housing supply continued to increase. According to the article, it usually takes longer for building supply to adjust to changes in demand. More housing supply has major implications for the housing market because it reduces pressure on rents. This could lead to further downward pressure on property prices and capital values. However, it is important to keep in mind that supply and demand figures are estimates. This is because Statistics New Zealand's latest population growth figures are provisional, which could change over the next few months. In addition, dwelling completion figures are based on the number of building consents issued in the previous two years. Compared to the code compliance certificate numbers that are issued when a building is completed, it suggests that consent figures offset by two years gives a more reliable indication of new housing supply. The biggest new housing surplus has occurred in Auckland. Over the last two years, it had a net population loss of 19,000, which means the supply of new homes exceeded population-driven demand by 35,386 dwellings, which, to be fair, probably just brings us back to about where things should be, because my understanding is that we entered into this booming period, into the property building period, uh, with a shortage of about 40,000 dwellings in Auckland. Substantial surpluses of houses were also recorded in Wellington, Canterbury and Otago. 
My thoughts are that net migration can change quickly, especially for Auckland. One of the reasons that migration figures are so low is because we've had a bit of a mass exodus out of New Zealand, you know, more people leaving New Zealand than coming in. Normally, we see a larger number of people moving into New Zealand for the long term rather than leaving it, although we usually see a negative net migration between New Zealand and Australia, meaning more people going to Australia than coming back. However, you know, this can change quickly as the borders around the world start to open up again. Also important to remember is that a lot of building consents aren't necessarily increasing the housing stock. For example, one house is demolished and replaced with one new build. So, you know, the same number of housing at the end of that. In my opinion, the chance of any of our main centres ending up with an oversupply of property, pretty remote. If we do, though, perhaps the government could look at purchasing some of them to help fix the lack of emergency housing. Just a thought. On the 27th of October from RNZ, underinsurance is an increasing problem for homeowners, property research firm says. In the latest report by CoreLogic, many of the 1,014 policyholders it surveyed were vulnerable to the risks of major property damage caused by climate change-related weather events and earthquakes. Country manager Simone Moores said that although New Zealand has a high home insurance rate at 96 to 98%, nearly a third of homeowners are unsure if their property is adequately insured. Around 38% of the respondents didn't know what their property was insured for. One in 10 selected their insurance policy because of low excess, and only two-thirds knew what their excess was. Moores said that if the sum insured is insufficient for the cost to rebuild, a homeowner is not fully covered, and they might only find out about this at the worst possible time. CoreLogic New Zealand's Cordell Construction Cost Index, or CCCI, Third quarter report showed that the national residential construction costs have continued to increase. Both quarterly and annual rates of indexed growth are reaching record levels. This can lead to even the most risk-averse consumers to get underinsured very quickly. Moore said that about two-thirds didn't have a full understanding of how much it would cost to rebuild their home. The CoreLogic survey found that more than half of the respondents had not reviewed their home insurance cover in the last year, despite knowing that their property values rose and the cost of rebuilding has increased. Moores believes that the risks beyond, extend beyond the consumers and mortgaged homeowners. There are also dangers looming on New Zealand banks' balance sheets. The average homeowner only reviews their insurance cover every two and a half years, which is seen to be too long, considering how quickly conditions can change. Among those who reviewed their policy annually, just under half, 49%, increased their cover, while 40% left it unchanged and 2% reduced it. CoreLogic Head of Insurance Solutions, Matthew Walker, said that the industry had raised the issue of under-insurance. He added that many insurance policyholders are highly exposed to the loss of their home and to serious financial harm, given that for most homeowners, their property represents the bedrock of their wealth. If you'd like help with this, get in touch with one of our recommended insurance advisors at My Team Limited, My Team as an MI for mortgages and insurance, via the website miteam.co.nz. If you'd like to learn more about property investment, join me at one of our regular free training sessions available either online or in person at our office in Ellerslie. 
in Auckland. You can register online at propertyapprentice.co.nz and if you'd like to have a no-obligation chat with my husband, Paul, to see how we could help you, you can also book a meeting or phone call with him via our website. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Thanks for listening.